Hello, everyone, and welcome to 2021. If you're like me, I know all of us are praying this year will be much better than 2020. 2020 was a difficult year. There was much loss and much tension throughout this nation and our world. And through all the loss and tension, one fact remained constant. God is in control. And for that, we give him praise and glory and honor. And I pray each of you are blessed in 2021 and his presence will strengthen each of you. There have been times and seasons in my life when for one reason or another, I was not enough. Not good enough, not smart enough, not faithful enough. Ever been there? The feeling deep in your heart that you are not enough? This feeling is often defined as shame. And shame, deep shame, is difficult to remove, is it not? Jesus implores us daily to pray like this, forgive our debts. So how many of us need to heed those words and forgive ourselves as we have been forgiven by God? Today's passage takes us deep into the part of our psyche for which we rarely travel. For many, it's a lost world, a world of the unknown, a world of complexity, hurt, and pain. Some of us have been carrying baggage for years. We realize we're not the person God created us to be. We feel it. We know it. But we can't let go of the false messages of this false self which we've created or has been created by another or other influences in our lives. We therefore live enslaved to the false ideas which rule us. Now, I'm not an expert in the workings of one's psyche. I'm not a counselor, I, nor am I a psychologist. But I have dealt with the human heart for many years and have witnessed the destruction shame produces in the lives of those who have been washed in the blood of the Lamb. And the reason many of us hang on to these false views of ourselves is we lack the correct view of God. Now, I'm going to borrow heavily from a book by Lewis B. Smead's Shame and Grace, who offers insight into this topic of shame. And, and, and let me encourage you to purchase the book and read it if you find yourself shackled with the chains of this devastating emotion. And, and know this, know this, there is a difference between shame and guilt. Shame may cause guilt, which we'll deal with next week, but they are two different emotions. Shame is how one feels about oneself, the painful feeling about how we appear to others, how we even appear to ourselves. We have allowed our others, their situations, their events, our sins to define this psyche in our soul. And I want us to dig into this topic and address it today. So let's get started. As I said, the prayer of our Lord is meant to be memorized, meant to be learned and taught to others. And while it's 50 words in the original language are few, they are indeed powerful. Forgive us our debts. This is where we are in our prayer and where we are in our study. Um, let's read it. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. 
your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts. This forgiveness Jesus is alluding to in this prayer allows one to stop blaming another for the harm in one's life. Forgiveness means not taking the offense into account. Debt here is monetary language, but when extrapolated to its full meaning, could be defined as, as letting go of our injuries against God. This accounting language is used throughout the Bible and often refers to wrongs against God. And it also defines, listen to me, the injuries and hurts we've placed upon ourselves, the shame which so easily clings to our soul. And as we tackle this topic, I'd like to do look at two stories in the scriptures, one in the Old Testament and one in the New. So if you would, turn to 1 Samuel chapter 20, verses 30 through 34. Now let me set the scene. David has fled from King Saul's presence because king, King Saul, is seeking to kill David. David returns to speak to Jonathan, King Saul's son. David and Jonathan are brothers. Now, not blood brothers, but ones who share a deep and lasting bond between them. David is seeking answers as to why King Saul is trying to have him killed. And Jonathan devises a plan to inform him, David, as to his father's intent. If you remember, it involved a meal in which David was absent. The first night, Saul did not say anything about his absence, but the second night, David's seat was still empty. So King Saul asked Jonathan the whereabouts of the son of Jesse. Jonathan told his father that David went home to hold a sacrifice with his brothers to be with his family. Listen to Saul's angry response toward his son, Jonathan. And see if you can pick up shame language. And maybe you've heard something like this before in your life. Then Saul's anger was kindled against Jonathan, and he said to him, You son of a perverse, rebellious woman, do I not know that you have chosen the son of Jesse to your shame, to the shame of your mother's nakedness? For as long as the son of Jesse lives on the earth, neither you nor your kingdom shall be established. Therefore send and bring him to me, for he shall surely die. Then Jonathan answered Saul, his father, Why should he be put to death? What, what has he done? But Saul hurled his spear at him to strike him. So Jonathan knew that his father was determined to put David to death. And Jonathan rose from the table in fierce anger and ate no food the second day of the month. For he was grieved for David because his father had disgraced him. So what did you hear in this passage? Would this not be the beginnings of shame for many individuals? If your father spoke to you as Saul spoke to his son, do you think that would leave a mark, a lasting impression for which you might be damaged for life? Your filth! You're not a responsible son. You don't know right from wrong. You seek another's approval and not mine. And even the physical abuse of a father toward his son? 
Some of you are carrying shame, which is not your fault. You've been hurt deeply. And some of you, some of you are still carrying the scars of abuse. And these feelings of shame have been placed upon you by others for, re- for reasons which you don't really fully grasp. And, and yet they have become real and true in your life. And so you blame yourself. It's my fault. If only I had been a better son. If only I had been a better daughter. Shame, this hidden emotion, is often thrust upon us. Is it not? All right, all right. Let me share another story from the book of Mark. Do you remember the woman in Mark 5 who had the blood disorder for 12 years as a result could not enter the temple to worship because she was unclean? Never a day of purity for 12 years. She had spent all her money on medical remedies, but nothing worked. This unclean woman approaches Jesus and desires to slip in undetected as not to have to deal publicly with her shame and touches the hem of Jesus' garment. Just to touch one of his tassels which hung from the corner of his prayer shawl. By the way, if you read the next chapter, Jesus' hem had tremendous healing power. So, she pushes through the crowd to touch his tassel because shame would not allow her to face him or those in the crowd who would judge her. Ever been there? If everyone knew what was going on in the deep recesses of your soul, would not some of you want to hide as well? Would you not fear being shunned or even worse? rejected or abandoned. Upon her touch, Jesus realizes power has gone out from him. Let's pick up the story in verse 30. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing around you? And yet you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it? But the woman, knowing how, what happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. This shame, privately carried for 12 years, this shame she refused to acknowledge. In fear and trembling, she is revealing publicly the whole truth. And because of that, Because of that acknowledgement and her faith in Jesus, she receives grace, healing grace and a blessing of peace. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. It's the first time this woman has ever experienced acceptance. Jesus' response is so different. She experiences grace at the feet of Jesus. Wonderful healing grace. Brothers and sisters, the healing of our shame begins best with a spiritual experience of grace, right? From the fullness of Jesus, our Savior and Redeemer, we have all, let me say this again, we have all received grace upon grace. Grace and truth have come to us through Jesus Christ. But our conventional response to shame is often one 
to lower our ideals and our principles, our standards, to a level of our ability to meet those principles and standards. Yeah, see, our conventional response is to shame is to, to make ourselves acceptable enough, just enough to satisfy the ideals, the principles, and the standards we already have, or to satisfy the standards of others. Our conventional response to shame is to, three, is to persuade others and to persuade ourselves we're just fine the way we are. The underlying dynamic of our shame and our hesitation to acknowledge it comes from this fear of rejection, this fear of abandonment, does it not? I, I keep that which is hidden a secret so as to avoid rejection by others. We want, we desire others to know us. And shame says, hey, if they know you like you know you, they won't like you. So we hide and push our shame deep down in our gut where it often emerges in a physical manner. But grace, Jesus, who is full of grace and truth, delivered us a gift. Grace is a gift of being accepted before we become acceptable. This is what our Savior did for us on the cross. For it is because of one man's trespasses, death reigned through that one man. Much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, grace is shorthand for God, who to the amazement of any shamed person is amazingly gracious toward you. He is. When we see Jesus, we see the Father. When we see the grace of Jesus poured out in his day on a shame-filled religious culture, we too can be and are overwhelmed by this experience of grace. Once this grace this gift is inside of us. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. We know this in our mind. We have the knowledge of this grace, but we're living, but are we living in the space of grace? Truly living in this grace. See, inside this magnanimous grace, one, we're forgiven for wrongs we have done, continually forgiven as we point our face to the Father. We're pardoned for our sins. We can let them go because God no longer holds them against us. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. We are pardoned for our sins. They are thrown in the deepest part of the ocean, never to be remembered. God places a sign in the middle of that ocean, which reads, no fishing, no fishing. By his grace, our sins are remembered no more. Can we? Will we trust him? Inside this magnanimous grace, too, we are united with God, our true selves accepted, cradled, 
held, affirmed, and loved. I love this verse, which, as it reads in the message from Isaiah, don't be afraid. You're not going to be embarrassed. Don't hold back. You're not going to come up short. You'll forget all about the shame of your youth and the indignities of being a widow will fade from memory. For your maker is your bridegroom, his name God of the angel armies. Your redeemer is the holy of Israel, known as God of the whole earth. You were like an abandoned wife, devastated with grief, and God welcomed you back like a woman married young and then left, says your God. Your redeemer, God says, I left you, but only for a moment. Now with enormous compassion, I'm bringing you back. In my outburst of anger, I turn my back on you, but only for a moment. It's with lasting love. I'm tenderly caring for you. Can you hear the acceptance? Can you hear the love and affirmation of your Father? God takes our brokenness and shame and tenderly cares for us. What does it do for us to know God's complete compassion and love? The indignities and the embarrassments are gone. In God's grace, we do not come up short. We are accepted and loved, held close in our Father's arms. Can we, will we trust Him? Inside this magnanimous grace, three, we are provided a spiritual energy to shed the heaviness of shame and light of the lightness of his grace. We therefore have opportunity to become the person God created us to be. We are infused with grace-filled power which changes our thoughts and our minds. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully in the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. There is power in his grace now. And there is hope in the grace to be revealed. Grace now and grace to come has the power to change those deep, dark recesses in one's mind. We therefore hold firm to His grace. This power has the ability to change the way we live and the way we think. We are to be sober-minded. That The original Greek word for sober-minded can be defined as one who curbs the controlling influence of inordinate emotions and desires. We can be the person God created us to be because we have set our hope fully on the grace of Jesus Christ and his ability to release us from that which controls us. Can we? Will we trust him? Inside this magnanimous grace for we are given the gift of life, a sense of wonder, a sense of elation at the lavish generosity of God, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Grace is a gift. We must accept it and open the package. Grace is to be used and not placed on a shelf to view from a distance. No, 
This gift is to be poured out on us, which we smell a sweet aroma which will never fade. Can we, will we trust him? And last, inside this magnanimous grace, we must forgive ourselves and accept ourselves as the person God created us to be. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. Through the blood of Jesus, we are set free. We are forgiven by the riches of his grace and our trespasses are remembered no more. Can we? Will we trust him? All right, let me move to some practical steps in this difficult work of shame. Okay, here's, here's number one. We must own the raw material, taking ownership of ourselves. We must take the responsibility for building a life out of whatever raw material has been given us. We can't blame anyone else. We can't wallow in the pig pen of accusations and hurt and frustrations. We work with that which God created, the me he wants us to be, this raw material. And, and I must own the process, being accountable for my life. Number two, I must own that shadowy side which lies beneath the surface of the self, open, that self which is open to the public. Most of us, not all of us, have the shadow self which ne we never reveal. We hold our cards close and never lay them on, on the table. Now, 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 don't get me wrong. There are others who throw their cards on the table and vomit all over the place. And, and we know who those people are. And in many ways, listen, listen, I respect you if you're one of those. What you see is what you get. But for most of us, those individuals are few. Most never admit the shadow side of our psyche because of the fear of abandonment or rejection. Right? We need to place our cards on the table if we're to deal with the shame in our lives. There needs to be an acknowledgement of that which is hidden. All right, number three. We must take pride in the self we own. I must love me as God loves me. Hard thing to do. To see ourselves as God sees us, redeemed, holy, loved, graced, a child of God. Taking pride in ourselves is often difficult when one has an unhealthy view of themselves. Is it not? All right, and, and number four, we must feel joy in the self we own in spite of the fact that the whole world is groaning while it waits for redemption, which includes our soul, our psyche. Let me ask you a question. What would what would it feel like to live lightly with your unhealthy shame as we move toward the self we are created to be? So in other words, can I, can I release the weight of its presence, carrying this unhealthy shame instead of in the palm of my hand rather than in a backpack full of stones? Can I see shame in the light of Christ's grace and mercy and love and lightly hold it in my hand instead of letting it weigh me 
down, knowing one day, knowing one day, all things, all things will be made new. And as we end today, let me remind you of one important fact. Our God has the whole world in his hands. I know it may be a trite saying, but God holds this whole world in his hands. If you, if you look around, our world does not work right. This is what sin brought to a perfect and holy creation, fractured lives and fractured lives of our friends and our family and of us. And therefore, all of us groan. All of us carry this burden. To some degree or another, all of us have shame for which we never divulge. Listen to me. Joy can be obtained. There will always be storms and clouds in our lives. Lightning will strike. Thunder will roar. But not always. There will be a day of no clouds. A cloudless day when all tears will be wiped away. A new heaven and a new earth. In this world, our lives are groaning now. We wait for redemption and the redemption of our lives to be made whole in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And while on this earth, while on this earth, we need to give ourselves a fair chance at joy. It comes through the power of grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and only He can bring that true life to the full. So, how are you doing? How are you doing? Can you? Will you step into this arena of grace and forgive yourself as you have been forgiven? Oh Lord, forgive our debts, the shame which binds us. I leave you with this poem written by Lewis. It resides on the last page of his book. Where unhealthy shame is obsolete, where healthy shame has lost its sting, where we know we are of great worth when we accept the grace we do not deserve, where bad choices of the past do not determine our worth today or forfeit our hopes for tomorrow, where we dare to feel guilty when guilty we are, for we know our guilt can be forgiven, where we celebrate our imperfections, where we can feel silly without feeling shame, where grace gives us reason to be proud of ourselves, where the lightness of grace lifts the heaviness of shame, where joy is the whole point. May God's grace be with you in this new year as you continue to journey to be the person God created you to be. I love you very much. May God be with you.